Revelation 22, let's begin reading at verse 17, please. Let's read together. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Lord, thank you that we can rejoice in your presence. Thank you because we have reason to rejoice in our Redeemer. Now I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching today. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, and especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will draw them and not let one of them be lost. O oh Lord, help us today to grab hold of the truth of your word and let us get a little bit of heaven in our hearts. I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters. That matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The story is told of a young novice preacher who was scheduled to bring the message one Sunday morning. He diligently studied and prepared all week, but... Uh, was still a bit nervous when he came to the pulpit. After reading his text, he launched into his first point by proclaiming, Behold, I come quickly. At that moment, his mind went completely blank. He couldn't remember anything else about the message he had so laboriously crafted. Well, by the time he was panicking, he remembered something he learned in his preaching class. When you get stuck, simply repeat what you just said, and that will often help jumpstart the thought process and get you moving again. So he said once again, just a little more emphatic and a little louder, behold, I come quickly. Still nothing. Now the perspiration's starting to bead on his forehead. He licked his lips and decided he'd try one more time. This time, he gestured dramatically and he stepped toward the front of the platform as he practically shouted, behold, I come quickly. Unfortunately, in that action, he caught his foot on the front edge of the platform, tripped, tumbled forward right into the lap of a sweet senior citizen lady sitting on the front row. <laughs> Thoroughly embarrassed, the young man began profusely apologizing, but was interrupted by the little old lady who said, that's all right, son, don't worry about it. You warned me three times you were coming. I should have moved out of the way. 
As we come to the last chapter of the book of the Revelation, we find the message of the soon coming of the Lord repeated again and again. In verse 7, the Lord says, Behold, I am coming quickly. In verse 12, he repeats, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then finally, in verse 20, where we read just a few moments ago, the Lord's final word is, Yes, I am coming quickly. In the space of just 14 verses, the Lord says three times, I am coming quickly. The last message of the Lord to the church is, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. To which the beloved elder John responds and says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. As I was reading and thinking about that response, I began wondering if that represents the sincere prayer of God's people today. I I wonder, is that your prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. You know, most of you know I grew up in the church. I, I like to say I was going to church nine months before I was born. Well, in the early days of my lifetime growing up in the church, I seem to remember hearing a lot more about the coming of the Lord and about going to heaven than is common today. Anybody else agree with that? You know, the the bulk of our songs that we sang back then contained something about heaven. You know, back in 1951, the Church of God published a songbook they called the Church Hymnal. It's affectionately known in circles as the Redback Hymnal. In reality, most of the songs in the book aren't really hymns. They're gospel songs. They're songs of testimony, songs of faith. But that hymnal has been a staple of our movement for over 70 years. So just to satisfy my curiosity to see if I was imagining this, this last week I thumbed through just the first 100 songs in that hymnal and paid attention to how many of them said something about the coming of the Lord or of heaven. Of the first 100 songs in that book, 60 of them were either totally about heaven or they had a verse or a strong reference to heaven and the coming of the Lord. We, we used to sing about heaven a lot more than we seem to do today. We, we used to have glorious sermons preached about heaven. You know, mention heaven or the coming of the Lord to those old Pentecostal services, and there would be a shout of joy that would rise from the hearts of those dear saints. Songs or messages or even testimonies that talked about heaven would be occasions for shouting and dancing and clapping and rejoicing. People were excited about the coming of the Lord and going to heaven. Today, not so much. I mean, I was hard-pressed to think of modern worship songs that talk about the coming of the Lord or of heaven. It's not that they're not out there. They just aren't as prevalent Mention the coming of the Lord and going to heaven in a sermon, and it just seems to wash over people, eliciting very little by way of response. 
It makes me think that the prayer of John at the end of verse 20 when he says, Amen, come Lord Jesus, isn't a prayer that many of us pray. It may not even be a sentiment with which we agree. See, most people I know want to meet Jesus when they die, but they aren't in any hurry for that to happen. I mean, after all, we have life to live. There are a lot of things we want to do, places to go, people to see, things to accomplish. We're okay with the idea of Jesus coming eventually, but very few would pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When you read through the book of the Revelation, I can find two reasons why John would pray for Jesus to come quickly. And these are the same two reasons that are probably why very few people would pray that prayer today. The first reason we don't pray for Jesus to come quickly is because we have not suffered as John suffered. When you read some of the history of John's life, you discover that he was no stranger to suffering. He was arrested for ministering healing in the name of Jesus to a lame man in Acts chapter 3. I mean, think about it. You go heal somebody and you get thrown in jail. He was arrested again along with the other apostles and subsequently flogged for preaching about Jesus in Acts chapter 5. He faced the threat of being stoned because of his faith in Jesus. Tradition tells us they tried to boil him in oil, but he wouldn't boil. Consequently, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He tells us why he was exiled in the first chapter of this book of the Revelation. He writes in verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, watch this, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Pain, suffering, heartache, trial. Tribulation. These were the companions of John. He lived with a constant threat to his life hanging over his head, all because of his faith. In addition, John suffered the loss of close friends and companions as one by one the other apostles and leaders of the early church were executed for their faith. Some of these deaths are verified in documents. Others are based on tradition that has been handed down. But listen to the fate of some of the early followers of Jesus. James, the brother of John, was killed with the sword by Herod. Peter was crucified. However, he requested and was granted to be crucified upside down, feeling he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. He was first beaten, and then he wasn't nailed, but he was tied to that cross where he preached for several days hanging on the cross before he finally died. Philip was hanged. One of the most gruesome, Bartholomew, was flayed alive with knives and then beheaded. Matthew was stabbed and then beheaded. Thomas was stabbed with spears. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified 
been sawed in pieces. Thaddeus was shot with arrows. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Matthias, you know, the guy that was voted to replace Judas Iscariot, I'm not sure that he thought that was such an honor. He was stoned. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets until he died. Luke was hanged. Paul was beheaded. Every one of the Lord's closest followers was martyred for the faith until finally John was the only one remaining. So not only did John personally suffer, but he suffered the gruesome loss of his friends and companions in ministry, always looking over his shoulder, mindful that the same fate could be his. You know, this is a degree of suffering that you and I can't begin to imagine. And yet today, there are people all over this world who face the possibility of horrible suffering and martyrdom because of their faith. That's the only crime they've committed is to believe in Jesus. And they passionately pray with the apostle, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Those of you who are African-American are descended from a long history of suffering from slavery. Unspeakable atrocities were visited upon your ancestors. And blatant racism in some segments of society are evidence that some of those effects are still being felt. Out of this pain and longing for something better sprang a genre of music known as spirituals. Many of those spirituals articulate a longing for the coming of the Lord and reflect the anticipation of the removal of suffering in the joys of heaven. Yeah, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I've got a crown up in the kingdom. Ain't of that good news. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world, going home to live with God. Deep river, Lord. My home is over Jordan. I want to cross over into campground. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Those are just a few of the songs that shaped the faith and expressed the longing of those precious people who were suffering, praying right along with the apostle, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to tell you, there's something about suffering that caused you to look for release, for something better, for a brighter day and a better way. I sometimes wonder if that isn't what's happening when John describes the horrors of the tribulation that is coming to this earth in some of the previous chapters of this book. You know, in chapter 6, seals are opened and the suffering begins. There is war. There is famine. There is death. There are martyrs for the faith. There is terror as all creation seems to revolt. In chapter 8, trumpets are sounded and the suffering intensifies. There is cataclysmic devastation on the earth as a third of the earth, a third of the trees, a third of the green grass is burned up. A third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the creatures in the sea die and a third of the ships are destroyed. A third of the waters are poisoned. A third of the sun, moon, and stars are struck and darkened so that light is removed for a third of the time. A plague is released from the bottomless pit that causes physical pain and suffering so intense, the Bible says men will long to die but be unable to do so. 
Then in chapter 8, bowls of wrath are poured out. In chapter 8, there is a wave of suffering and pain that is released upon humanity and upon creation that is greater than the mind can conceive. Listen, you were never meant to be comfortable in this world. This world is not your real home. God has something far better in mind for you. It just could be that it will require dramatic steps to break us free from the hold of this material life so that we will then begin to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just maybe we've gotten too comfortable in this world, and the Lord wants us to know that this present world world is not our final destination. It just could be that the Lord is going to use these things to get us to sever the ties we have with this present life in order to embrace the greater life in his presence that he has promised. We do not pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we have not suffered as John suffered. There's a second reason we do not pray this prayer. It's because we have not seen what John saw. I have a suspicion that if you could have even a fraction of a glimpse of eternity like John did, you would be on your knees every day praying the prayer that John prayed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There on the Isle of Patmos, while he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the Lord peeled back the curtain and let John see heaven as no man has ever seen it before or since. And what he saw was breathtaking, and it caused him to fall to his knees in wonder and worship. See, one of the things John was privileged to see was the splendor of heaven. He tried to describe it in chapter 21. He talked about a golden city. He talked about walls of jasper, gates of pearl, streets of pure gold, foundation stones of precious jewels. When, you know, when John writes like this, I don't know if he's writing figuratively, if he's writing symbolically, or if he's writing literally. But what I gather from this description is that our heavenly home is going to be far more magnificent than anything anyone has ever seen on this earth. You know, I've seen some pretty amazing things in my lifetime. I've been privileged to travel, and there are some magnificent sights in this world. In addition, I've seen some pictures of places I'd like to go and things I'd like to see before my life is over. But of one thing I'm certain, there is nothing on this earth that can compare with the beauty and the splendor of heaven. The cheapest thing in that city is gold. And it, that gold is so common, that's what they're going to use to pave the streets with it. You know, songwriters have tried to capture the splendor of that place. I've got a mansion just over the hilltops. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. The truth is, there aren't enough words to adequately describe the splendor of heaven. See, John saw a city in which there is no night. John saw a city that is illuminated by the glory of God. John saw a city where every effect of the curse of sin is completely wiped away. John saw a city of absolute perfection, perfect peace, 
perfect joy, perfect love, perfect safety, perfect companionship, perfect harmony, a city that is perfect in every way. Maybe, just maybe, if we could catch a glimpse of the splendor John saw, we would pray what John prayed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Not only did John see the splendor of heaven, but he also saw the saints of the ages. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer lists some of the saints who died without receiving the promised reward of their faith. He then continues in chapter 12 with the picture of a giant coliseum of saints in the grandstands surrounding those who are running the race of life. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this great cloud of witnesses, I want to tell you, that's the saints John saw. In chapter 5, verse 11, John writes, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. Watch this. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In verse 9 of chapter 5, he talks about these people coming from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, he writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which, multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want to tell you, in that heavenly throng are the patriarchs of old, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David. That number includes some godly women like Rahab, Jochebed, Deborah, and Ruth. In that massive group of people are the apostles and the prophets the elders, the pioneers of the faith. There are early church fathers and those who were martyred for the faith in that celestial city, in that grandstand. I'm persuaded to believe John was able also to look into the future and see the faces of people who were yet to be born that were going to be part of that heavenly host of believers. You know, I got to thinking about that this week, and I got all excited. It's quite possible John was able to see some former pastors and leaders of this church in that sea of people. Now, most of you, most of you don't know these names because these people were gone long before you got here. But I know them. People like Buck and Ruby Gillespie, the first pastor of this church. And uh, Garland and Louise Mann. I, I played the funeral music for their services. F.L. Bud Braddock, that some of you will remember. John Walker. L Leon Ellis. Leon is the second longest serving pastor of this church. I, I am the longest serving. I just thought I'd throw that in, but. Just, just cause. Kirby Thompson. Francis Lyons, 
I've preached her funeral since I've been here. I'm persuaded to believe that John was able to look and see those faces. He may not have known their names when he saw them, but I'm persuaded to believe their faces were some of those numberless throng faces he was able to see. There are a lot of others from this church for whom I've conducted their funeral services. I believe John was able to see those faces. People I miss. People I'm looking forward to seeing again. I can't take the time to call all of their names, but many of them were not just parishioners. They were my friends. I'm talking about people like Evie and Nellie Ball, Charles and Rosemarie Blake, Joe Babbitts, Jerry Bates, Gary and Dolores Berger, Ray Clifton, Dr. Charles and Bobby Linton, Ken Martin, my buddy Cam Mullis, Glenda Phillips, Lonnie Portwood, Louise Rollerson, Vestal Hudson, Judith Taylor, Bill Watson. I could go on, but you get the idea. Some, some of these are your loved ones. And if you could just see them rejoicing and enjoying the splendor of heaven, and if you really wanted to join them once again, you'd start praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, I have some family members that are part of that number. I have a grandfather I never met because he died when my father was only five years old. That man wasn't even a believer until the very last years of his life. But he finally surrendered his life to Jesus before he died. He made it, and I want to meet him because I'm named after him. I have grandfathers and grandmothers who served the Lord all their lives, and I want to see them again. My parents are there, and what I wouldn't give to be able to talk to them just one more time. Well, I want to tell you, they're part of that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews testifies and John saw. I, I have a son in that number, a son I haven't gotten to see grow up. And I can't wait to reunite with him and be with him throughout all eternity. Oh, don't you want to be reunited with your loved ones for all eternity? Don't you want to see them again? If you could see the saints who are populating that heavenly city, maybe then you'd pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. John saw the splendor of heaven. John saw the saints of the ages. Finally, John tells us in this book, he saw the Savior on the throne. I told you at the very beginning of this series that I've been preaching that this is a book about Jesus. Don't ever lose sight of that. All the way back in chapter 5, John saw the Lamb standing as if slain. He heard the song of worship in, in verses 12 and 13, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He said, in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. This is what will truly make it heaven. We will see the Savior who loved us enough to give his life so that we could live. 
we will see the Savior who died in agony and shame so that we could inherit eternal life. We will see the Savior who has redeemed us and reconciled us back to God so that we are no longer strangers, but we are fellow citizens of the household of faith. This is the Savior who has washed away our sin. This is the Savior who speaks peace in the midst of the storm. This is the Savior who provides a way when there doesn't seem to be any way. This is the Savior who brings comfort to our grief. This is the Savior who replaces sorrow with joy. This is the Savior who gives beauty for ashes. This is the Savior who leads and guides and sustains and upholds and secures and protects. This is the Savior who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the Savior who is forever faithful. This is the Savior who never leaves and never forsakes. This is the Savior who has overcome death, hell, and the grave and promises that because he lives, we can also live. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory let me lift my voice cares all past home at last ever to rejoice I tell you it will be worth it all when we see Jesus life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ one glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase so bravely run the race till we see Christ. If we could catch just a glimpse of what John saw, the splendor of heaven, the saints of the ages, the Savior on the throne, maybe then we would join him in the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that brings me then to the last verse of this book, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I told you at the beginning of the series that the book of the Revelation is a book about Jesus. Throughout the pages of this book, Jesus is revealed as the one in charge. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing is done without his permission. He alone is the one worshipped. So it is that the book ends with this incredible word, grace. Everything that transpires in this book is connected to divine grace. All the pieces of history come together because of grace. Even the judgments that are pronounced are evidence of grace. I tell you, the way you're able to live the overcoming life is through grace. The way you're able to enter the celestial city is through grace. One person has turned the word grace into an acrostic and said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I want to tell you, you can make it not because you're worthy, but because Jesus is worthy. 
And his grace is extended to you today. Grace to keep you in this life. Grace to carry you into the next life. Make no mistake about it. The way you get in is because of his grace. The late blind hymn writer Fanny Crosby wrote, Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I awake within the palace of the king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. I want to know today, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Have you placed your trust in Jesus alone for your eternal salvation? If you haven't done so, won't you do it today? Surrender your life to Jesus. He'll save you. He'll save you by his grace. Bow with me just a moment, please. If you're not sure you're saved, you're not sure you're ready to meet Jesus, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to know who I'm praying for today. You want to be sure. You want to surrender your heart to Jesus today. Would you just put your hand up very quickly and put it right back down just so I know who I'm praying for today? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Father, I'm praying for these. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Father, I'm praying for these people right now, both in-house and online, that are joining me in this prayer. And we want to say thank you for the provision you've made. Thank you for the provision so that we could be saved. Provision of the sacrifice of your only son. And Lord Jesus, we do now profess We cannot save ourselves. So we ask you to forgive us of our sin. Come into our heart. Save us. We surrender to you. We give up control of our lives and place the control in your hands. Be Lord of our lives. Help us to live from this day forward in a manner that would be pleasing to you because we're not living by our own merits. We're living by trusting in you. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, a couple of things. First of all, in the pocket of the seat there in front of you, there should be a blue card. If you'll take that card, it'll ask for a little bit of information of contact. Just fill that in if you prayed that prayer with me. And then take it to the information desk on your way out. 
If you'll give it to them, I have a book that I want to give you that's going to help get you started in your walk with the Lord. And somebody will make contact with you this week. They'll pray with you. If you have any questions, they'll try to answer those questions just to keep you moving forward and get you established in this new faith, in this exciting journey of walking with Jesus. I've tried to put a little bit of heaven in your heart today. I've tried to give you not just a reason, but but a desire to pray in agreement with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This world is not your final home. This, This is only a temporary camping spot. The place for which you were designed and built is an eternity in the celestial city of God. So don't get too comfortable down here. One of these days, soon and very soon, we're going to leave this world for a better country. You know, I've, I've, I've never been much of a fisherman. But my dad, he could catch fish in an empty bucket. I've never seen the beat of it, you know. When he was alive, he, he was an incredible fisherman. And I've been with him and watched him, and I've heard the stories. But, so here's what I know about fishing. A good fisherman will cast his bait into the water... And when the fish grabs a hold of it, the fisherman will let that fish run loose for a little while. But then he'll snatch that line, set that hook, and slowly begin to draw him in. I have to be honest with you, tell you that there are times I get discouraged. I know that's going to mess with some of your theology. You don't think the pastor ever does, but sometimes I feel like throwing up my hands and quitting. But I also have to tell you that as a child of God, every time I feel that way, I feel the drawing of God's line toward heaven. One of these days, God will increase the intensity of that drawing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, boom, we'll be right there with Him. When I face the struggles of this world, when I catch a glimpse of what's in store for the redeemed, I find myself agreeing in prayer with John. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me as we conclude this service. I, this has been a little bit unusual service all day long. It just it's felt a little unusual. But boy, I sense the presence of the Lord. I want you to join me in, in singing probably the most familiar hymn in all the world. Even people that don't know Jesus and don't claim to be Christian probably know this hymn. It's a song that talks about the amazing grace of God. What key are we in, Pastor? We in G, that'll that'll be a good starting place. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, 
Twas grace, twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. Now, this last verse that we normally sing with Amazing Grace, I don't know if you know this or not, but it wasn't originally part of the hymn written by John Newton. This last verse was added later by somebody else. We don't even know who. It's, it's anonymous, right? But it expresses the sentiment that, it is, that is expressed by this last verse John wrote in the Revelation. When he said, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and then... The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. This is the destination to which this grace is leading us. It's leading us eventually to our eternal home. It's not just grace for today. It's not just grace for struggles and trials. It's grace that's going to take us all the way. And we'll be able to testify. When we've been there. Ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first. God. And then in church we used to add this, praise God, praise God, come on praise Him, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. <laughs>